Hello and welcome to episode three of season two of the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. Uh, this is a podcast series where I talk to uh, a bunch of varied people within the music industry about how they got into their jobs, how they've progressed through the industry, what makes them tick, what they enjoy about their work, some fascinating stories about the roles, just to give those of you who are really interested in the music industry and getting into the music industry uh, an insight into what people actually do in it. This episode is with Dan Jones, uh, PRS for Music's Outreach Manager for the North of England. As part of this role, uh, Dan provides talks and lectures at educational establishments and develops a host of PRS for Music events and advice sessions throughout the North of England. I met Dan uh, two or three years ago after I migrated out of London and set up in between Bristol and Manchester. His role is to inform and educate songwriters and music publishers about the PRS, about the role that they have within the industry and about the support and help they can give to songwriters and publishers. And we talked about how he got to where he is and about the PRS and about what they do. Uh, so for those of you who are songwriters out there or for those of you who are interested in setting up as a publisher, maybe you're an artist manager and you're looking to um, look after your the rights of your artists or songwriters that you work with, this is going to be a really, really helpful one. So yeah, Dan talks about how he got into the music business, what his interests are, but we talk a lot about what the PRS does and what they do and how they're progressing and how they're moving forward. So enough from me. Here's my conversation with Dan Jones from the PRS. I wanted to talk a little bit more about kind of your early relationship with music, really, because mm-hmm. uh, you grew up in a fairly rural part of Mid Wales. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, in my primary school, there's only me and one other person in my year. There's no one a year below me. Then, <laughs> okay, uh, that is that's pretty rural. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my auntie was my teacher as well, so. Uh, yeah, then high school was a bit bigger. I think we had about uh, 90 people per year. But again, near nowhere remotely big. So you'd have to travel to Wolverhampton or Manchester an hour and a half to actually go see shows. So that, and that's kind of where I wanted to get to is that from kind of mid Wales being what, an hour and a half from Wolverhampton, Birmingham and an hour and a half from Manchester. Yeah. What was your early relationship? with music you know how did you discover stuff in the 90s in rural wales was it from your parents was it from family members um, i think it was from like friends and kind of peers so my dad was never really into music my mum was into kind of abba tina turner nothing i really enjoyed that much there's nothing wrong with that my mum was into <laughs> carpenters and stuff like that and i can still remember all the lyrics yeah and i guess um just people buying stuff like Kerrang, reading about bands, so 
we had uh, all drive to Shrewsbury, go to the local, I think it was a Virgin then, Virgin Megastore, and I'll pick up like the latest Deftones, Nirvana, cassettes back those days. And was, there a, was there a kind of a little scene where you were? No, not at all. No? I, I don't think, probably going to be offensive, but I really can't remember anyone coming out of Mid Wales, I think. These days you've got a couple of bands from Aberystwyth, with, but again, that's like an hour away. I don't think there's ever really been a scene in Mid Wales. So growing up, kind of late 90s, you'd hear a lot about the Welsh scene, but it was all South Wales, all mm-hmm. bands like Funeral for a Friend and kind of Hondo Clean, people like that. And even like North Wales kind of has got quite a good scene, but Mid Wales, it's a bit barren to be honest. And when, was, when did you start going to shows? Um, pretty much when my sister went to university in Manchester, so I had somewhere to stay. So, Got she, so she's two years older than me, so when I was like 15, 16, uh, used to get the train up, went to see Terrorvision, Offspring, Smashing Pumpkins, people like that. So this is what, 98, 99? Yeah, about that time. So, but before that, there's like, there's literally nowhere to go see people locally. Um, so now I see like Wrexham has got a few gigs on, but that was something I was completely unaware of at the time growing up. So, I mean, how much of a relationship do you still have with that part of the world? Is your family still based there? So you still have? Yeah, my um, oh. my parents are still there. So I go back every couple of months. But um, yeah, has it changed? No. And from a kind of a creative, the arts scene, and we can kind of you know, insert however many other small towns and, and villages from around the country now, you know, kids, young adults growing up in those areas. Is there more opportunity now, do you think, for those sorts of areas to to cultivate people that are interested in the arts, in music, in media? In theory there is, but to be honest, I, I'm not there enough to kind of say that like I was at Focus Wales two weeks ago in Wrexham and that was fantastic and there seems to be some really cool stuff going on around there but even mid Wales like where I was it's about a good 45 minutes hour south so if you're a kid you can't drive you're totally reliant on your parents taking you everywhere mm-hmm. so yeah not really I think there's a big I'm sorry I'm talking more about like the kind of guitar music, dance music scene. What if you're into Welsh language music and more traditional stuff then yeah, there's a massive scene. So the village I grew up holds like Nationalised Stevod every couple of years, which is like I think they call it the biggest youth gathering in Europe every every year where it's basically it's Welsh language competitions. So it's, okay. it's choirs, it's kind of traditional Welsh kind of folk music and stuff. And that's a massive thing if you're into that kind of thing, but I never really was to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I mean, that's that's something that I hopefully we'll get to touch on a little bit is that the music industry isn't just dance music and rock music and what you hear on the radio. There's lots and lots of opportunities out there. You mentioned uh, Focus Wales. Yes. What is Focus Wales? Uh, so Focus Wales is, I think it's a three-day kind of showcased festival where bands from kind of all around the world and primarily Wales come to Wrexham, play all the venues around uh, around, the t- around the town. So it's a 
great escape yeah it's a great escape kind of sounds sound city, city off the record thing. kind of thing okay. and they have a two days of conference as well so i was down there for the conference so what what stood out from this year's um, one both from a conference perspective and the band. To be honest, I didn't stay around for the bands because um, with a five-week-old five baby, I didn't really feel I could spend three days listening to bands and leave my wife with three kids. <laughs> so, um, How very honourable. Yeah, so I just I was stand there for the conference bit and I really enjoyed, um, there's a conference, uh, so I go to a lot of conferences, mm -hmm. so I hear a lot of the same panels, but... There's one on independent venues. So right. they had um, the guy that runs Club Ivo Bach in Cardiff mm -hmm. and Le Pub in Newport and uh, someone from Music Venues Trust. And that was really interesting hearing about kind of the struggles venues have and the different ways they have to operate these days. And yeah, that was really interesting. Is that, was there anything being touched upon when it comes to you know because Club Iverbach nearly went under, nearly yeah. went down, nearly had to close because of development. There's that's happening a lot in Bristol. It's happening yeah. a lot everywhere. Yes. Was that touched on? Yes, it touched back the agent of change and how everybody's basically trying to bring it in um, around the country. So I've heard similar talk talks in Liverpool and Manchester recently where it's it's really important that that gets introduced everywhere because. Well, we've just talked about the lack of opportunities in kind yeah. of the more rural yeah, suburban areas. If that go, if those opportunities disappear in the yeah. urban areas, we're kind of exactly because I was always really jealous of like seeing all the gigs on in Newport and Cardiff growing up, and knowing it's like a two-hour drive for me to actually go down to those shows, so I never actually did. Um, yeah, so those venues make the places what they are so like in Manchester I think Night and Day may have had it where basically the venues in the northern quarter made the northern quarter what it is like mm -hmm. probably like the best place to hang out in Manchester yet yeah, all the developers who build these flats here because people want to live there then they complain about the venues and they're the very thing that made it such an attractive place to live so that was what that was kind of the, the focus on that yeah and, and also just the, the um, struggles of getting people in the door and stuff yeah and that's a lot about um basically taxes and rates as well, how um, venues um, are taxed, but some small venues aren't. I get some, um, what's the word? Um, they don't have to pay like the full rate, but venues are excluded from that and they have to pay the same business rates as everybody else, which doesn't really make too much sense if you ask me. Okay. Anything else that happened at Focus Wales? Um, or any of the other panels that you've been present for recently what's the kind of the, the chat at the moment that's kind of interesting for someone in your position um i was having this debate with someone the other day actually just it's kind of interesting to see the subjects changing over the years so a couple of years ago it was all about blockchain blockchain mm -hmm. is the future it's going to save the music industry hasn't yet hasn't yet then it kind of moved still waiting a year or two ago it was about vr and how vr concerts were going to be the thing that that doesn't really appeal to me at all. But I've heard a few um, people mention, talk about that. A couple of booking agents are quite interested and keen on that side of things because for them it's infinite tickets. Yeah, and um, is it Grimes who was saying the other day how her dream is to tour as a hologram so she doesn't actually have to tour. But 
And this year, it's kind of quite good. It's about big topic on mental health. I right. think the music industry is kind of finally catching up with that something. I think the whole yeah media entertainment industry is finally, or maybe even the whole of business <laughs> is finally catching up with it. Yeah, so there's a lot internal about PRS about promoting mental health, but that's definitely a subject I've seen at pretty much every conference I've been to. Yeah. And yeah, it's good that's finally been discussed. Cause there's what always sort of things are being discussed? Just, just taking care of people, making sure they're okay and not like the whole image you have of musicians having to tour, having to drink, having to do drugs and just being, it's actually okay just to take your time for yourself. Did you intern at all? No, I didn't. I was quite, I was quite lucky. So I moved down to London about 12 years ago and took a lot of just temp jobs just to be able to afford to live in London. And then as soon as I kind of got in at PRS, kind of got a straight full-time position. And yeah, I was lucky enough to stay there for like the next 12 years. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've always, I've always, so I do talks at all the colleges and unis in the North of England. I've always got people um, asking to come down and do internships over the summer and things like that. So like, we cover people's kind of travel give them lunch and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. So at least they can get there and, and eat. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I'm sure there's other places that don't offer that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, that, I guess that's the, what, the one area that I think there's still room for, from my own personal perspective. This, it's really amazing that there's much more focus on mental health, especially the mental health of the artists, uh, especially after the wave of tragedies, uh, probably at kind of at the top end yeah. of things, the Chris Cornells, the Chester Benettons, the Avicis and stuff, and it's something that definitely has to be has to be focused on. But then on the flip side of that, there is that, well, okay, that, that's great, but there's also a lot of 20, 21-year-olds working and living in London where it costs a small fortune, not necessarily getting paid enough to be able to <laughs> to enjoy that time oh and by the way they are constantly available on email and there's fair it's not a unstressful place to work yeah i was reading um, an article by um john roston who um i think he, i know that name from? he um was uh i think he was related to soon in south wales southwest festival and now where he yes he set up um I think it's called the Association of Independent Promoters, and he was talking a lot about mental health and just how important it is to switch your work phone off six o'clock every night. Don't look at it till the morning. <laughs> my um, my wife uh, works in ph pharmaceutical industry, mm -hmm. and. Um, a lot of her work is based in France and you're not allowed to email uh, any French employee after a certain time and if you do if you just go and f you don't need to respond it's just for you to read in the morning you get told you cannot do that you have to say it to the morning so I think it's quite interesting how they yeah. approach it over there <laughs> Thank you.
So moving on to your time at university. Yeah. Um, did you go to university for any particular reason or was it just for the sake of it? You didn't do music, you did criminology. <laughs> which I find really interesting and fascinating now. Yeah. I think that would have been a great degree to do. But I mean, did you, if we ignore what you did and it was more about why you did? Yeah, I guess it was more for the experience of getting out of my small village right. into city life. Did you ever think about, was, was any of your options for going to university in places like London or Manchester? No. Um, was that a bit too 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 big a leap? Yeah, because I'm from like I said, a tiny village with a few hundred people. My school was maybe less than a thousand people, but I didn't really fancy the big step up to London or Manchester or Glasgow. Yeah. So I purposely applied to places in like Lancaster, Stoke, Portsmouth, kind of medium-sized cities, so mm -hmm. I could kind of get used to city life and see if I actually liked it. Yeah. So yeah, so a lot of yeah, uni was. A, I didn't want to stay where I lived. Um, there's no jobs about that I wanted either. So I thought I'd go to university. Criminology and law was something I was really interested in. So I kind of wanted to pursue a career in that. And yeah, so I did, did my degree at Staffordshire University. And what did you get out of university? Other than whatever, the, whatever grade you got in, on a personal level. Firstly, I really got into music, so right. it was the first time where I was, I was living in a city where I could walk to shows and go see shows like every day, every other day. And even though it's not one of the main touring routes, got the Sugar Mill, uh, still going strong now, and there were a lot of bands I saw. So I got to see people like Muse, uh, Elbow, all like before the first records were out. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting, quite funny. Um, Coldplay and Terrace did like a joint tour and like everyone was saying Terrace are going to be the biggest thing in the world and then yeah no one really talked about Coldplay and then Coldplay I was going to say who are Terrace? <laughs> I can't remember like, where they were I don't think they were Welsh but they were kind of like indie band they were really hyped by like enemy melody maker at the time but yeah I don't really know where they are now well there's probably there's a lot more <laughs> where are they nows than Hey, yeah. look at the, the stadium yeah. tours that they're on now. Well, quite interesting. One of the things I quite like at PRS is seeing a lot of the big songwriters. So I think it was I think I saw a fact that they in Music Week, like the average top 30 songs written by at least six, pe six people. Mm -hmm. I think there was only like three songs last year that were 100% one songwriter. And you see a lot of these bands, like particularly like Britpop, indie bands in the 90s, early 2000s, where now their songwriter is now just one of those songwriters. Yeah, yeah, just, just co-writing with lots of yeah. people out there now. Lots of people who you hear like the name, normally male artists, solo artists, you think, oh, they must write their own songs. Then you look at the songwriting and there's lots well, of... Well, it, it's something that I talk to students about every year. I mean, Spotify have now got writer credits mm. on, on the thing, so you can look at who wrote the songs in the charts and you'd be surprised, even bands. I mean, one of the ones that was the most surprising to me recently was a Panic at the Disco track, I think, because I obviously knew that Brandon Urie was the main principal songwriter, mm. but thought, you know, there's the collective of them. I think the song had about nine songwriters mm. involved in it. So yeah, there's very, very few. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, people like Lewis Capaldi 
and Jerry Cinnamon and stuff like that are the ones that off the top of my head I can I know for a fact that they are yeah. the one and only songwriter for their own stuff but most most stuff you look at the viral charts or the the, the streaming charts and stuff like that yeah there's songwriters right left and center yeah. and the other thing is how many artists people like you mentioned Grimes earlier you look at her first EP and album it's all just her yeah you look at her new stuff it's her plus two three four five other people yeah so that's kind of a big that's just a change in that's that's songwriters are actually now more open yeah to it as well yeah I think yeah songwriters kind of have to be a lot more into a lot of different things mm -hmm. like a lot of maybe there's a lot of co-writing for other people that maybe they wouldn't have considered a bit ago a lot of association with brands as well a yeah, lot of yeah. that I don't think you'd have seen in like the 90s but you kind of it's have. not selling out anymore no it's part and parcel sync's another thing as well yep. like you may never wanted your, mu your music synced on anything but now yeah it's all about getting that sync getting those people shazamming you Beck, Beck's the best example for that I always remember when I first got in the music industry I first was in the sync area I knew that Beck was difficult you know, he was very much he was artistic uh, creative control it was all about that and then yeah, like three or four years later it was yeah you can for the right price and, you know, obviously he doesn't just say yes to everything blindly but how much from your position at, at PRS do you kind of try and keep an eye on kind of a, a, a lay of the land when it comes to songwriters and things like that and the reason why I ask that is that I'm interested in saying that for the most part we're very aware of the Coldplay's the Ed Sheeran's yeah. but they are the top percent Yeah, the vast majority of PRS members are not that yeah and so from a professional songwriters or you know touring bands how easy is it for for to make a living um from from music yeah it's difficult so interestingly like our team are the outreach team so part of my role we have a thing called talent talent identification program where my job is to basically keep an eye on emerging songwriters and not just performers, people who write for TV, write for film, or just write for other people. Okay, so there's, there's kind of a, within the PRS, there's a bit of an A&R yeah. discovery so, element to so it. So we have teams of people who deal with like the biggest writers, um, and then my team basically look, keep an eye out for the next big thing. Okay. And, um, just, in, um, just in the Northwest, or is this, you've got a team that covers the entire... Yeah, we cover entire of... Um, Britain really um, and we've got people based in America as well that do the same thing in the, in the US but okay. um, yeah so I am based in the north of England so I cover the north but I also keep an eye out for uh, all around the country if there's stuff that I see happening I either flag it up with a person in the area or contact them myself so okay. I look at like all the I personally look at a lot of streaming charts and we get we look at like who BBC introducing are putting forward to like the main BBC channels as well uh -huh. so, so I'll keep an eye out see, see how many plays they're getting if they're not members just speak to them straight away and just make sure they they understand what PRS is whether they should join and things like that so my job isn't doing like the hard sell 
just trying to get everybody to join POS. Like, yeah. I only approach people when they're going to earn money out of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, keep an eye on a lot of people in the north. And a good portion of my job is basically meeting up and coming artists and their managers and actually teaching them about POS. Because right. surprisingly, a lot of people still don't know who we are and what we do. Uh-huh. So, Is that something that you're having to, or the, the whole company is very much focused on changing? Yes, I think that's basically what my job is. It's um, outreach, promoting PRS, making sure people are aware of us and what we do. Um, And the landscape's changing. So previously there was just PRS, but now there are the emergence of kind of competitors out there that... Who's the the main competitors in the UK? Because obviously we've still... PRS is still really the only collection society uk based collection society if you want to earn your money from live yeah for example it's pretty much coming from prs yeah yeah but there's also there's obviously multiple other ways that performing income and the income that prs deals with comes from now so where's where is that competition coming from is it other publishers that are kind of doing that? Are there yeah, so are there new collection societies that are that are causing you to? I guess there's a lot of people that are really good at PR, spending a lot of money on PR, and yep. they look really good from the outside. Like I was looking at something on Twitter just yesterday where it looks amazing if you don't understand how it works <laughs> underneath. Mm-hmm. Like you can promise the world, but. Um, once you actually see how it works behind the scenes, you're like, that's not actually any better than we're offering. It's just you've right. just got a lot of money to spend on marketing and fancy videos. Okay. Um, yeah, so years ago, like, the EU recommended, like, that you're not just stuck with your territory, so, like, we can go after German members, French society can go after British people, but everyone's kind of respected that. But then there is people like Cowalt bought AMWA, yep. and that's, like, a global collection society so well there's because there's there's the difference between i guess the old the the older school traditional collection society stuff the mechanicals yeah so the money from physical sales um and the money from gigs the money from radio that sort of stuff where prs comes from where the bmis and ascaps of this world can't really kind of their history comes from yeah. but then as things as you mentioned shift around the online the digital side of things the sync the secondary exploitation stuff mm-hmm. takes over a little bit which gives new companies this opportunity which is kind of where I'm interested when it comes to the, the kind of the competition yeah. uh, comes and, and I guess what you're saying is that now it's very much everybody gets kind of free game yeah i guess to kind of say right the uk only has prs but we're all kind of in competition with another within with each other and so if you're a uk writer you could sign to whoever you like yes you can withdraw there's, uh, there's a few different rights you can withdraw so you can withdraw your online rights you can join you can um withdraw your broadcasting rights you can withdraw lots of different rights from us most people don't they just yeah, give yeah. us all the rights but um so that's why we developed ice international copyright enterprise where uh-huh. it's us working with a number of different collection societies around the world gamer and Stim, Stim the first two, on, two yeah 
Um, so previously, like people like Spotify would need to get a license in every single country in Europe. Yeah. Which isn't great. So there's basically there's ICE and there's um, another one developed by um, SASEM and a couple of other um, Southern European societies where we're looking to basically bundle it in together. So, mm -hmm. so basically soon, hopefully, people like Spotify, Apple Music will only need one or two licensing deals rather than having to do one at a national level everywhere in the world. That kind of idea of let's work together for the greater good rather yeah. than make it hard when we're shifting to a model of you're going to get small amounts of money from lots of places. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, it makes perfect sense to do it, mm -hmm. for everyone to work more collaboratively. You've been at the PRS for 12 years. Yep. What's changed the most internally? I guess Obviously it's... Your, your role has shifted around. You've bounced around from, from member services into kind of your education outreach A&R role yeah. <laughs> that you've got now. How's the, how's the company transitioned, evolved in that 12 I years? Think it's, it's had to evolve because just the change in the music industry. So I started 12 years ago where CDs were still selling loads, vinyls, kind of all right. Now it's all about streaming and just we've had to transform mm -hmm. our systems. So when I started PRS, I was oh, we get these few million lines of data from the BBC. That's incredible, how do we do all that? To now, last year we processed 11.2 trillion lines of data just because the whole landscape's changed and it's had to be, we've had to evolve, mm -hmm. had to do launch things like ICE to, to kind of handle that as best as we can. And that means a different type of employee or more employees? I mean, on, on, on face value, it just means, right, that means more people must be working at the PRS now. Yeah, so a lot of investment in IT projects, getting everything as best it can rather than having extra people doing the work manually it's all about getting clever systems doing yeah. it automatically for you and we, we've we've had a few chats over a non-alcoholic beer uh, about that how is the the transitions into kind of the the hardcore data management going um i think it's going well so i'm quite removed from it these days because i'm i'm based up north by myself largely but but one of your roles is very much education and outreach yeah and one of the I guess the selling points the PR from your side of things is what's the services that the PRS are are, are providing how is that evolving how is that changing and I've already seen over the past what 18 months two years how much new stuff has been rolled out yeah so um so I, was, so I was more thinking about like the behind the scenes stuff that members don't actually see in terms of like actually getting everything paid out correctly. Um, By all means, wax lyrical on that as well. Yeah, but um, <laughs> as far as like the front end, which people actually see, so there's stuff like the whole website's been rebranded, redesigned, a live reporting tool has been improved, so it's really easy to report live performances to us. Um, changing the way people log into the website, which may not sound like a big deal, but it is 
it is a big improvement on things. So mm-hmm. if you manage 30 artists, you now just have one login under your account and now you can manage your art, all your different artists, flip between them really easily rather than having to log in individually as mm-hmm. each one. Um, member statements to go in online in a couple of months. So we used to have to send people PDF. Well, when I started my job, one of my jobs was sending out people's paper statements and then someone big would lose your paper statements and you'd basically have to cut down a small forest to print off their statement and post them all out again. Um, so then we moved on to PDF CSVs, but not on the people's FTPs. But now um, it's all going to be members can log in, they're going to see their statements, they can download them. There's going to be royalty wall- analytic tools as well. So you can okay. look, so it's really quite cool where you can look at specific songs, see what the income sources are, or see what territories they're earning in. Um, yes, yeah, so that stuff that's really exciting. It's coming up very soon. Cool. I guess that has to happen because of where the money's coming from. I was I was thinking earlier on about YouTube as an example, and we all know how um, friendly YouTube is with PRS and the music industry as as a whole. Mm-hmm. But I was I was thinking from my own perspective about some of the ideas that I would like to utilise with YouTube and whether or not you can have different videos that have, that's obviously that are all earning an amount of money, be that minuscule amounts all the way up to thousands depending on how many people you are, but then you share it with all the various people that were involved. So if you've got 10 videos out there, yeah. it's your channel, but then each of those 10 videos is someone different yeah, again, actually on it. Can you piece, can you kind of chip away at it and kind of make sure that all those people are earning a share? And I guess that's something that's probably have, has to be taken into consideration from your part as well as the amount of different owners and the amount of different places that money's coming from. Yeah, so yeah, like I said earlier, there's so so much more data being sent in from places like YouTube and Spotify than needs to be, and yeah, and we can split it. However, we want to split it on the song side of things. As far as like the uploader is concerned, then um, yeah, it's the deal between kind of you and YouTube, isn't it? Mm. And it's quite interesting. I've spent a lot of time recently just watching videos of outrage. YouTube influencers complaining about their videos being taken down because of copyright infringements. Yes, and how, mu- how much are you? How much do you know of of all that sort of stuff? Is that is that a, a common question that not, comes up? Not really, but I it's just come. I, I think because YouTube has got such good knowledge of what I watch, it brings me up these these YouTubers <laughs> just complaining about copyright. Going, I can't believe. Well, I, I've I've been suckered into a bit a few below the line. Yeah, conversations which I've had to go. You know what? I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be brought into. This. I never come on, but it is just like I can't believe this. Warner's are taking all my money from my content I created. I only put this song on, and it's like that's not your song to put on. You've literally just put a little chat in, then you someone else's song, and you're expecting to earn all the, all the, all the money from it. Yeah, and it's just what, and you see how outraged the commenters are, and like they don't understand how copyright works. At the time of recording, uh, so end of May 2019, uh, this year has been a fairly significant year for changes in rules and regulations that the PRS are quite uh, 
intrinsically linked with with regards to the EU copyright reform and stuff like that. Yeah. <coughs> um, and from the from the outside looking in, rather than getting into in kind of into what it is and what it feels like, it, it's it's going to come down to now to education. Yeah. So more education, more people learning these rules. So do you potentially see education and outreach from your side of things potentially growing to cover YouTube channel yeah. owners? You know, people, you know, it's your job to, to actually seek out people who have channels on YouTube up to a certain point and say, I can help you manage this issue that is changing now. Is that something that's on your horizon at all? Um, it's not, but it's a really interesting point. So, yeah, like I do, when I speak to universities, no one really asks me about YouTube, but when I speak to colleges, speak to like 15, 16 year olds, then they're asking me these questions about yeah. YouTube. And that's kind of where I get into these discussions, but not approaching like YouTubers directly, but yeah, that's something you could definitely think of. So my job's more on the kind of the membership side of things, so making sure the songwriters understand it, not really how the customers or licensees understand it, but yeah. Is is there a department for that, for kind of how customers and licensees understand it? Because from my background is working with businesses working with companies that utilize music yeah and one of the things one of the reasons why music supervisors have jobs and why they and why they're even even though it's quite a a luxury role luxury thing that not all production companies can can afford or anything like that is the lack of education the lack of knowledge not everybody knows everything about yeah the intricacies of intellectual property and copyright law um but that's that's one thing for companies like the BBC and Sky and Channel 4 but now we're entering this world of there's hundreds of thousands of content providers yeah. who have got a voice now on platforms like YouTube and are oh, you know they do think why is my stuff being taken down by the monster that is Universal or Warner yeah. or Sony and actually it is about Education, yeah. and whether that's a, it's, is it for a private freelancer to kind of reach out to those, or is it potentially something for for the PRS? Yeah, potentially. As as the kind of the actually we're the kind of the central hub that can that can bolt into this, kind yeah. of say, hey, let's because from from me personally and from talking to a lot of same kind of 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds who watch a lot of YouTube channels, is that there is this split divide of oh but this is going to ruin the yeah. computer games channels or whatever that I watch yeah. um, even though they're on a music course and yeah. I'm kind of going Ugh, okay but actually fundamentally it's down to to trying to make the, both, the, the best out of both of them you know the PRS or the music industry don't want YouTube channels to completely stop using music oh, far no. from it yeah but then on the flip side is that the channel owners and the channel users don't want to suddenly be paying, having to pay thousands yeah. for something because they're not going to have that. Yeah, there's definitely there. There's definitely room for improvement in, well, that's kind of what we were talking 
briefly talk about like blockchain, like micro licensing for YouTube, making sure people can tip, people can put in their data whether they approve it for YouTube and stuff, and people can just do it, and then they get some microtransactions coming directly. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting area, and um, yeah, an area someone could probably really exploit. <laughs> What are the three questions that you get asked the most? Um, Broadly speaking. Um, what is PRS? What is the PRS, okay. Um, how much will I get paid? And when am I going to get paid? Now, all three of those are very, very sweeping yes. and broad. Yeah. So how do you go about answering You know, the question of, how much am I going to get paid when there are so many different yeah, answers to that question? that's basically what I say. As I say, it really depends on how your music's being used, where it's being used, how long it's been used. Then I talk about radio rates, TV rates, streaming rates, live rates, and things like that. So it just ends up being a lot more detailed conversation of you need to be more specific. Likewise, with when I'm going to get paid, it's mm-hmm. literally like when was it used, like the money isn't paid instantaneously yet, day maybe it will be but um, yeah it's just generally like delving down making people understand it's a lot more complex than maybe they think in the first, okay. first instance what are the three most important things for bands new songwriters maybe even small publishing companies to think about in this general area um, the first thing is make sure you signed up a lot of people assume they're signed up they think oh my manager signed me up it's fine then I look into it and they've not ever joined us and they've lost that lot of money right then it's m- making sure you've actually registered your songs again a lot of people join PRS then they like put their feet up think the money's gonna roll in and they never do the basic things like registering their songs or making sure their publisher registers their songs so it's a really quick like two-minute process where we literally just need song titles songwriting splits and that's pretty much it how far back so if you are registered yeah. <clears throat> now, how far back can you claim? It depends on the income source. So if it's if you've been a member that long, you can go back for radio, TV, um, big live concerts up to three years. Uh, we have another live scheme called Gigs, Clubs and Small Venue Scheme where it's for small pubs, clubs that have like the occasional shows on for that. You can backdate it a year. Right. Um, so yeah, making sure songs are registered is one of the key ones mm-hmm. so stuff like radio tv streaming should get paid automatically if the members registered their songs then you'll get the money we'll match it we'll get the 11.2 trillion lines of data we'll match it to the 25 million songs on database and pay it live is the only income source where the onus is more on the member to tell us i speak to a lot of bands who have never sent us a set list they've never submitted a live claim and these are bands that tour like 200 nights a year right and I'll see that and I'll go and meet them I'll go up to Newcastle I'll go to Liverpool and say you need to be doing this and then the money will roll in so making sure you you do your live claims I said last year we refreshed our live reporting tool and it's a really easy process where it's just the date the venue the set list and that's it submitted and if you're if you are a singer-songwriter playing one song at a um, at a open mic night 
Yeah. That can earn you money. Yeah, exactly. It can be one song, it can be ten songs, as long as it's the song that you've written. If yeah. You, obviously, if you just, we do get a lot of people in covers bands trying to join, and then we just basically refund the money and say, it's not right for you to join, we're going to pay the people that you're covering, not you. Yeah. And if you're doing a mix, so a lot of people do split where they'll do like 50% originals, 50% covers, then we'll pay you 50% of the money if you're reporting it to us like that. Mm-hmm. And if there's one tip that's not in that kind of most important things for a, let's go with one for songwriters and one for maybe people thinking about setting up their own little publishing endeavour what would it be? Um, just educate yourself um, in terms of it is quite complicated mm-hmm. but I run I'm going to plug something now so yeah, I, I run these um, outreach events um, throughout the north of England and my colleagues do them around the whole country so this year I'm doing about 12 yep. free events you don't even have to be a PRS member um, so I'm running about 10 of them in conjunction with the Musicians Union where we both do an hour session so they talk about what they're called how to um, how to release your music and get paid for it where MU will talk about making sure you get everything signed, everything agreed, copyrights all in order, just basically protecting yourself so you don't get ripped off. And then I talk about PRS royalties, MCPS royalties, PPL royalties, and they're free. You don't have to be a member, and it's it's two hours of your life that you can learn a lot out of. You get it's not about getting people to join; it's just improving people's knowledge, really. Okay, and you're doing those throughout the rest of the year yeah so um, and that's not just 12 in the north of England they're all over the place uh, yes there's 12 in the north of England there's going to be okay. about a similar amount around like the Midlands south of England east, east Midlands places like that and if anybody's interested in finding out where those are um, keep an eye out on PRS social feeds so okay. we email all our members multiple times about them but if you're not a member then you're not going to get emailed about it so yep. it's, just keep an eye on the PRS Twitter we create uh, Facebook groups for all the events as well. So okay, yeah. So it's definitely it's Twitter and Facebook groups for those. It's not uh, going to be advertised in any other places. Um, no, we don't. Like we don't really go into the press with it. Fair enough. And last question: What's the what's the most exciting thing that you are able to talk about that's happening at the PRS at the moment that hasn't happened yet? Um, it's really sad, but. <laughs> <laughs> what I was, what I kind of alluded to earlier, stuff like statements going online. It's like it's something that needs to happen. You can do it with your bank, and I think I'm just excited about it because it was my job, as I said, sending people statements when they lost their statements, and it was quite a tedious job of printing statements out, emailing statements. The fact that members can now go online, do their analytics and stuff, so they don't need to be paying thousands of pounds for like software they can do a lot of the stuff themselves on our mm-hmm. website yeah I'm quite excited by that but that's just because I'm, I'm really into data and analytics and stuff so so that's that's potentially something that can kind of you know if you're a small publishing company yeah you don't need to think about having to spend money on something like counterpoint or those no. sorts of royalty tracking softwares and or even Utilizing Excel, you can just use it. You can use the PRS's system. Yeah, you can use system. Like I said, you still get like the Excel files and stuff, and you can 
Oh, we took it up by artist, took it up by song. So, yeah, okay. it's quite exciting. And when's that happening? It's Hopefully. being soft launched to a few members in the July distribution. Okay. Um, and but by the end of the year? By the end of the year. Should, should be out there for all members. Awesome. That's a nice happy note to finish on. Brilliant. Thanks for coming down. Yeah, thanks for having me. Massive thanks to Dan for coming over to my flat and having a chat with me uh, about the PRS. Um, we did have a conversation for this quite some time ago in a busy cafe and it was just inaudible. So I'm very happy that he was able to, to squeeze me in again and have the chat that we had about the PRS and all the great work that they do. Um, if you are a songwriter or looking at... Uh, setting up a publishing company go to prsformusic.com and get in touch with them Uh, follow them on twitter twitter.com forward slash prsformusic it's really easy to reach out to them they're always keen uh, to find new people and do also check the twitter page especially the twitter page for news and information on upcoming events um I'm hopefully going to be mentioning those on the podcast as well. So uh, listen out for future episodes. I will be shouting about any of the new member educational and advice sessions and events that, that the PRS are doing across the country. So yes, that's PRS stuff. As always, get in touch with me via the email address behind the business pod at gmail.com follow on instagram at behind the business pod and find me on twitter at danny champion i'm looking at doing one of these a week until the end of the year hopefully if that doesn't happen that's because real life's got in the way unfortunately Um, do tell friends do go on to apple podcasts and rate and review this do get in touch with any suggestions for future guests Um, i've had some amazing correspondence from people when it comes to guests so hopefully going to get some of those doozies on in the meantime that's enough from me thank you so much again for listening and i'll catch you next time